Hello and welcome back to the Polaris Travel Health Podcast. Thanks for tuning in with us this week. This week, Jaden and I will be talking about measles. Yeah, I think uh, kind of a lot of us, especially in, in North America and people my age especially, no longer consider measles to really be a major threat or even something that crosses their mind. But it is starting to make headlines once again, unfortunately. Um, before we get into that, though, I did want to kind of give a background of what measles is uh, before we kind of focus a little bit more on the current events. Yeah, that sounds good, Jaden. And I'll actually just throw something else in here too. Even an older guy like me, you know, like measles wasn't really part of my childhood either. You know, you basically had to be, you have to basically be at an age where you're over 50, uh, probably like into your late 50s and early 60s to really remember measles as being a thing that we that would be sort of a, an illness. Uh, Cause even for me growing up in the seventies, measles wasn't really, it, it was pretty much, it was on the run back then. So talking about measles, measles is a, a contagious viral febrile disease. You know, it gives you a fever and we are as humans, really the, the only natural host for this, for this virus. And you get it through in, inhaled droplets. So that's, that's how you would get it is it's it's spread through you know the coughing and that sort of thing and every year i think your numbers here jaden again your your research here 9.7 million people affected and that includes travelers uh and travelers are probably quite irrelevant when it comes to being vectors of the disease but it's certainly still a thing and and when we start thinking about you know from a point of view that like well is this really still something we see but we absolutely see it in typically in more developing countries, but sometimes it's even in relatively more developed countries. So, and then there's a note here, I believe that you had, there was um, uh, since 2000, in in 2000, the U.S. declared that uh, measles was eliminated. Tw- uh, 25% roughly of all cases were reported from international travel travelers. And most of those were unvaccinated people with 85%. So, uh, Hopefully I did justice to your research there, Jane. Does that sound about right? Yes. Yeah. And then I believe I, I realized later on, I saw uh, a Health Canada article that said that they had declared that we no longer had measles in Canada in 1998. So that was, that was um, when we figured that out up here. But it's same sort of thing. Any cases, most cases since then have been um, from international travel. Yeah, and when we have seen cases here in Canada, most of the time when they've been the result of, of, you know, there could be an outbreak in a community, for example. Like I can think of a couple examples in southern Alberta where there had been someone who traveled internationally, was unvaccinated, came back with measles, and then also spread it to people in their community that were also unvaccinated. And that's certainly been a thing that we we've, we've run into, but yeah, that's, that's typically how we've, how we've seen, how we've seen most measles cases. Yes. Yeah. That's sort of becoming a thing again, unfortunately, but yeah. So what do the symptoms of measles look like if you were unfortunately to be somebody that caught it? Well, the incubation period is is usually at least a week. I think it can be around you know one to three weeks potentially. And the main things that you we we run into is you usually get a high fever. You can start coughing, and then you get pink eye, and then you get sort of a rash. I think that's sort of a hallmark type thing that you really we associate most with measles. And you know, it's just 
it can really start from really the top, like from your head and work its way down. But it is a very unusual, distinctive kind of rash. And, you know, you can just also feel lousy in general, like loss of appetite and diarrhea and all these kinds of things. And then what can really end up happening though, is, is that, you know, it can, in some people, it can, there can be further complications, further things. And we'd be talking about, you know, ear infections, pneumonia, lymph node enlargement. And I think that, you know, encephalitis swelling up of the brain is obviously, I think probably the, the scariest one when it comes right down to it. And we know that really young kids like under five and also adults are, are probably more likely to, to suffer from complications. And, and also, you know, people that are just naturally more at risk to any kind of infections like that are immunocompromised or pregnant probably are at, at higher risk. And um, I believe the numbers, and again, Jaden, thanks for your advanced research here. I believe one in 20 kids will with measles will get pneumonia and about one in a thousand will get encephalitis. And when you look at the numbers, about one to three in a thousand children who get measles will will die from one of these complications, these neurological or respiratory complications. So, it, you know, the numbers are low, like when the death rate is low, but it's not zero and it's not, it's, it's still definitely a thing. I, I have not really heard of um, many Canadian cases of measles resulting in, in death. And that probably has a lot to do with just luck and a generally pretty modern healthcare system with good supportive treatments. But, but yearly, you know, there can be a hundred thousand people dying from measles. Like when you think in a global sense from the best we can estimate. Right. Yeah. And there is also kind of another complication that can be associated with measles, though a little bit further down the line called SSPE. So what exactly is that and what can happen to you? So this is something which actually I don't have tons of familiarity with, but something called subacute sclerosis uh, pancephalitis. And it's a debilitating progressive type brain disorder that's associated with people that had measles, like typically like years earlier, right? Like, so it would be a situation where it could be like, you know, up to a decade after you've, uh, you've had measles. And apparently it is something that is more likely if you had measles before you were two. And then the, the stages involve sort of usually fever, headaches, or maybe some personality changes. And then things can start to go you know, worse from there where you get loss of vision, dementia, seizures, and uncontrolled writhing, and then really damage the brain controlling the areas of, of your brain that are involved with, uh, you know, um, breathing and heart rate and respiratory, and, and that can ultimately lead to death. So this is, yeah, obviously something that's pretty, pretty um, significant. And, and there's nothing you can really do except symptomatic treatment and but most people usually die within a year or two or three after diagnosis. Yeah, it's uh, it was something that I had actually never heard of before doing a little bit more research into measles. And, you know, thankfully, it's something that has become a lot more rare now that we have large scale vaccination campaigns. But yeah, it's it's something that it, unfortunately, the prognosis is always poor. Um, yeah. But more on more on the vaccine, that's sort of the only known prevention of this this particular complication and of measles in general, correct? Yeah, yeah. And and what we're talking about here, and actually this is sort of 
it's good to sort of break down some of the stuff when it comes to measles vaccine. Like the, the vaccines that we have available in Canada, really, we have two options. And we've got the MMR and the MMRV vaccines. So MMR, this stands for measles, mumps, and rubella. And then the V, which is added on, is varicella, which is chickenpox. So there is no vaccine in Canada that's currently approved that is just a measles vaccine. We get this all the time at the clinic. Well, I shouldn't say all the time, but we, on a semi-regular basis, we'll get a, a phone call from someone saying they want a measles vaccine, but they don't want the mumps and rubella part. Or we, I want a rubella vaccine, but I don't want the measles and mumps part or ver other variations. There has in a historical sense, those vaccines have actually existed, but they are none of them are available today commercially. They've all been discontinued and they're all we have, like I said, it's either MMR or MMRV. So these are the vaccines that we use. And uh, uh, right now, as part of, say, the Alberta Public Health Childhood Vaccination Program, the you get two doses of MMRV. And that's at one year of age at your preschool shots, which are usually done at, at uh, four and a half year, years of age. Now, it's a live vaccine. So, you know, we always have to be careful if, you know, you're immunocompromised or pregnant. But the vaccine's been around now for quite a long time. So, you know, we I think we we have a pretty good feel for, you know, what to expect. And like from a live vaccine perspective, it's not drastically different. The thing is... Uh, I want to mention this MMRV vaccine, and, and this is sort of one of those weird little points that probably won't make too much difference but to most people, but MMRV vaccine is only for, for kids 12 and under. When we're giving measles boosters, like MMR boosters at our clinic, we only use the MMR brand or MMR variation because... Um, yeah, that's uh, uh, that's the only one that's approved for for adults. So if you actually need the varicella part of it as well, we actually have to give it as two separate shots. And as far as uh, other things to talk about here, um, with you know the introduction of this two dose regimen, we've seen a decrease in, of measles cases by about ninety nine percent. So it's been pretty effective when it's been given. Yes, and that out of. Um... Out of the M, M, and R, I believe the measles element is the one that have you receive kind of like the highest amount of immunity. It's quite effective. Yes, that would be true. The mumps part of it is actually probably the the least immune, like effective. Like we actually mm -hmm. know that even two doses of MMR vaccine for for mumps is. is there are people that will lose their mumps immunity. We know that we know this, and even with rubella immunity, we see it two sometimes. But, um, you know, the one thing that we run into, you know, pretty regularly at the clinic, we start talking about these, uh, the two dose vaccine schedule for MMR, you really have to be of a certain age to have had that because, you know, when we start thinking about even people that were, they're in their 30s right now, they probably didn't have two doses of MMR when they were a kid. They, they had probably had one dose of MMR and then maybe one dose of just measles vaccine or maybe even just one dose of, of, of MMR in general. And then you start going back into to people that were born in the 70s and they only got one dose of MMR and that was it. So that's why we're always looking at people from that age range as being prime candidates to get an adult measles booster because if you're born in 1975, you, you know, you certainly didn't we know you only got one dose of, of uh, a measles vaccine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, that they said that that full kind of two dose vaccine schedule wasn't in place until 1996 and 1997. 
That sounds about so, right. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of, and the cutoff year that we sort of use um, in Canada is that if you were born 19, like prior to 1970, we kind of presume you have immunity because people that were essentially born in the 60s, they probably got a dose of vaccine. The measles vaccine came out in 63 or 64, but you either had the disease or you were vaccinated or you were exposed to, like, to it at some level that we we kind of feel like you should have some level of, of immunity. So if you're born in 1965, you know, we would generally presume immunity. Now, if you're a healthcare worker, we view you at being higher risk, we would, you know, want to look at giving you potentially a booster, but at, at, as sort of a general population thing, that's sort of the age group, which we feel has immunity. But then when you start rolling into the seventies, that's where, that's where we feel like you wouldn't have had that, you know, that quote unquote natural immunity. That makes sense, Jen? Yes. Yeah. That, that kind of, kind of seems to be where a lot of the cutoffs for different vaccines that we would, people in my age group would consider given that seems to be kind of like the area where, where the cutoffs for immunity seem to start. Yeah. But uh, getting back to current events and kind of discussing the potential for needing a booster or anything like that. What are the recommendations for travelers and where are some of the areas where you might be at a heightened risk because there is kind of endemic spread in the population there? I think there's a lot of developing countries. And, and I think, you know, uh, you um, pulled up a, a good list here of uh, the top 10 uh, countries w- that have had measles cases recently. And and, uh, and I'll, um, I'll rhyme them off here, but they're um, Somalia, Nigeria, India, Ethiopia, Pakistan, Afghanistan. Democratic Republic of Congo, Cote d'Ivoire, Mali, and Yemen. They're the top ones. And I believe you, Somalia, 5,000 cases, over 5,000 cases. So so those are places which I think we would look at very strongly. But then also there are other places in the world where there have been some concerns. And I know, even know from my standpoint and my practice, I you know even places like the Philippines and Vietnam, which are countries which I, I kind of view as being, you know, certainly more developed than some of the countries we maybe just mentioned. But mm-hmm. I, I think that certainly there's been some concerns in, in those parts of the world. You know, I was like, uh, I remember reading this story a while back and, and I'm, I'm going to digress here, Jaden. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> there was this crazy story about a dance competition in Sydney, Australia. And Okay, again, I might not have all the details of this right, but essentially what happened was there was this dance competition in Sydney, Australia, and people from all over Australia and in neighboring countries, it was like a big deal thing. So people came from far away to come to this dance competition. Anyway, what ended up happening was is after this dance competition ended, there was reports of some people in Australia and like different cities in Australia getting measles. And it was all around the same time. And what they actually did is they they connected it all back to the dance competition. And they did a lot of contact tracing and everything like that. And they eventually tracked it down to one of the dancers from the Philippines who was unvaccinated and had measles during the dance competition, but didn't have symptoms yet. And mm. he was dancing away uh, at this thing, spreading measles everywhere, and then went back to the Philippines where he did get sick. I, I think, as far as I'm aware, that did get measles, but like there was not, he didn't die or anything, as far as I'm aware, at least. But anyway, the the point being made that he essentially spread measles all over. There was it led to a whole bunch of outbreaks throughout sort of that whole Oceania type area amongst you know unvaccinated dancers that were at this thing. 
So uh, uh, anyway, I just I, I think that was sort of a, a fascinating story about contact tracing because it was just one of those things in Australia where it was like, okay, we have measles cases in Adelaide and Brisbane all around the same time for no apparent reason. How can that be? And then they just worked their way backwards and figured out how it all happened. Well, that is that is quite unfortunate. I had heard on, I had read essentially that they, in that sort of Oceania type of area, that they were really working uh, and making actually good progress towards the eradication of measles. And but yeah, that's it's unfortunate when things like that happen, you know. And and it's unfortunate that we have seen a lot of misinformation about the MMR vaccine, and that's led to a lot of people not having it, and a lot of children, especially who lack immunity to it, to measles, especially. For sure. And, you know, the other problem that we've run into here as well, and I know we discussed this, uh, you know, uh, prior to actually recording, but we, we've talked about this before, that a lot of vaccine uh, campaigns across the world, especially in developing countries, has been halted because of COVID. Uh, right. And there's been, um, we know um, that many people haven't been vaccinated, gotten gotten their routine kid vaccines. So it's not even necessarily an anti-vax stance or whatever. It's just that all the programs that would go into, you know, into developing countries, into villages and smaller towns and bringing vaccines and stuff that, that you know, that stuff just hasn't been happening as much. And, and as a result, there have been more cases of measles, which you know, probably will ultimately, you know, affect worldwide cases. And, and uh, you know, we're going to run into this thing uh, where all the things that we've neglected during the pandemic health-wise, is, it's going to start to manifest itself. And and whether it's this or, or other things where, you know, maybe some other things are not, were not diagnosed as promptly as they should. And the fallout from from the pandemic is, is going to be significant in the long term. And it'll be you know, interesting to see how it all plays out, but it's probably not going to play out in great ways in, in that sense. No, definitely not. I'm concerned especially about about measles and about, you know, other things like polio and that sort of thing that have been kind of put on the back burner because of our focus on COVID. But um, in terms of, of who should get a booster, how frequently, I guess I should say, would you recommend that to somebody? So we would ordinarily recommend that under most circumstances, you would only get two doses of MMR in your life. That would be right. the normal. Now, if you got extra, would it be a problem? No, typically not. But um, we would work on the basis right now that we would want you to have two documented doses. Now, lots of times we'll get situations where we'll have somebody who will come in who won't have their, their childhood vaccine records. But what we'll do is we'll sort of extrapolate based on their age about how many doses they, they could have had. So if you have somebody who's coming in and they're born in 1975, they don't have any vaccine records, you know, we would probably encourage that person to get an adult measles booster. You know, if they're in healthcare and or on other situations where they could be at higher risk, you know, we'd really want to make sure to have two documented doses per se. But if we, it was a, sort of a non-healthcare worker, you know, we might just consider to be an adult booster would be sufficient. Right. Okay, then. Well, any other recommendations for travelers in relation to measles? Anything else that you want to mention just in general or anything like that? I think that pretty much covers it. Me, you know, measles is just one of those things that's like, yeah, we're still talking about measles, but yeah, we're still talking about measles. It's like, it's kind of like polio, same kind of thing. It's like, this is something that, you know, we kind of thought we were going to 
have a handle on and, and have kind of taken care of. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's still there. We still have to think about it. Is it, it, it's, it's just an example of, you know, no, no matter how bad we want some of this stuff to go away, it doesn't go away on its own. No, no. And I think there hasn't necessarily been as much attention paid or political will behind um uh, measles anti-measles campaign or vaccination campaign since you know probably the the 90s and the 2000s yeah for sure i i would definitely agree with that all right then well thank you for tuning into this week's edition of the polaris travel health podcast a reminder that the information and advice provided in this podcast are not a substitute for live medical advice tailored to your itinerary and your medical history if you have questions or you'd like to book an appointment please head over to our website www.polaristravelclinic.ca. Check us out on Twitter at Polaris Travel RX and our Facebook page as well. We hope you'll tune in again with us next week. Thanks, Jaden. Thank you.